0: Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Great to have you. Thanks for the download today. This episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Have you ever managed multiple vendors for what you do? Well, a lot of small and medium-sized companies struggle with this all the time. They've got work comp carriers, they've got benefits administrators, they've got benefit brokers, they've got an HR consultant, they've got payroll processing software, all of that. All of it fragmented, all of it in different places. Well, Zenium brings everything under one roof. Xenium helps organizations streamline their HR and people practices. Payroll processing, HR consulting, benefits administration, and much more. Learn more about Zenium at zeniumhr.com. Okay, today's episode is with Thalma Lobel. She is an author, psychologist, and an expert in human behavior. And in this episode, she's sharing methods for improving your day-to-day in the office or at home. And so you're going to hear a lot about the psychology that goes into making little small changes that make productivity much better, will make you happier, and will change your brain. It'll literally rewire your brain so that you can increase productivity and be happier. So you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Enjoy the discussion with Thalma Lobel. Talk to you next week. Hey Thalma, it's a pleasure to have you on the Transform Your Workplace podcast. Thanks for coming on.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: You wrote a fascinating book. It's called Whatever Works, The Small Cues That Make a Surprising Difference in Our Success at Work and How to Create a Happier Office. And this book is really split up into three different sections. There's so much science behind all of this. And I want to touch on a a few different areas, which I hope uh, you're okay with going, going deep into some of this stuff. And I want to start with the office first. Because I really haven't talked about this much on the podcast. What does the science say about office Because I know we've talked in the past a lot about whether the open office or the closed office is good. What, what does the research say?
1: Well, the research in general uh, says that uh, it's uh, better to be uh, most of the time in a closed office. Mm-hmm. The ideal uh, thing is to have both. Let me tell you what are the good things and the bad things about uh, open and close the office. So, for example, the two main things that people complain all the time when they are sitting in an open office is lack of privacy and noise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these are, and, and, and a lot of people are really so aware of that, that uh, that, that it really disturbs their their, their, uh, their work. They're all the time aware that they, people are watching them, whom they're talking to. Um, maybe you know they, they don't like some people um, mm-hmm. more than others and everything is, is known. Cubicles are semi-private, but people are deprived of sunlight, their views re- uh, restricted, and they sit in a small space, so that's not good also. You know, recently many, many companies used to uh, move to open spaces. Walls between employers, if any, are built to a low height and the rationale behind the open space is that it boosts teamwork and uh, the exchange of ideas leading to innovation and exchange ideas and, as a result, enhance productivity. Moreover, it uh, saves organizations money. They they use less space for, for all this, but there are studies done recently that showed that in uh, open spaces, people talk less, they, they, they use more the email, mm-hmm. and they, because they don't want uh, you know, all, the, all these interactions that everybody sees what you're doing. So actually a lot of, uh, and, and of course the noise that a lot of people complain. And you know, another thing which is interesting, studies showed that one of the things that disturbs the most is phone calls. Uh, when, you, when Some other people talk on the phone, Because you hear, you don't hear the whole dialogue, you hear only half of the dialogue. And that increases your curiosity because you hear the other person, oh, wow, you don't say. So you think, what what did he say? If you hear the whole dialogue, you're less interested. And that is why when you sit in a coffee shop and there is noise too, a lot of people are not disturbed by it because they are not interested. There are people that they don't know. They hear Mm -hmm. most of the dialogues are not that interesting. At work, when these are your colleagues and you hear part of the conversation, it really really disturbs you. So uh, the the solution for many companies is to do the hybrid uh, office. First of all, I want to say about the the noise, put headphones. If you have uh, no choice but to work in an open space and the noise disturbs you, try wearing headphones. You can listen to nature sounds or coffee shop sounds. Or other sounds that are meant to mask distracting noises in the office, or music if you like music. And also, a lot of things is lack of, lack of control in an open office. Because when you have your own office, you can control the light, you can control often, you can control the temperature. In an open space, you can't do that. So, there are also some advices bring to your office a, a small lamp, mm-hmm. uh, bring a heater, or you know something, or a uh, or something that uh, a fan. Uh, that that will be only for you so these are things that you know that can help you and as i said a lot of uh, workplaces now have both they have open spaces but they have also private offices and people can uh work part of their time in a private office and then you know do the what they need in in privacy and quiet atmosphere and then also do some things an open office when they can
0: talk to others, they can change ideas, extend ideas. Yeah. It seems like a hybrid approach would definitely work. And I think you even mentioned it in the book at one point where there's some companies and organizations that almost have like a fluid open environment, which means like you could basically go plug in and sit in different areas and just kind of pick up and move around. And that way you can probably collaborate with different people as you kind of move around. Do you see organizations doing that?
1: yeah 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 a lot of organizations uh, you know uh, do that and and the idea behind it is that uh, although you like to have your own uh, desk and you might have it in the private uh, office but in the open space y- y- you work according to the needs okay you want to work with this group now so you you plug like you said you plug your computer or you go to the computer if it's there and you work on that so hybrid is the i think is the solution Uh, Some people will tell you that they don't want, they just want private offices. But uh, a lot of people, especially the young people, also like a part of the benefits of the open space. So you can combine the two.
0: You talked about lighting in the book. and. I never really thought about lighting a whole lot as making a big impact in, in my day-to-day work. And I think this is, a, you know, we you talk about it for an office environment, but I think this really applies to the home office environment as people are working from home right now. So what does the, the science say about what kind of light we need to yeah. be the most productive?
1: I will say that. I'll answer in a minute. I just want to say, because you say that people are working at home, a lot of Things that I'm talking in the book are ap- applicable and even more important when you work at home and you have to choose the your space and the light and everything. Right. So, first of all, uh, let's talk about artificial versus natural light. Uh definitely science showed and the everything that I say is based on science, on studies that were published on top journals, it's not just out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. And the uh, science said that uh, artificial uh, light is uh, worse than uh, natural light.
0: Okay, that's good to know.
1: Yeah, if you have the choice, pick up a room with a window. Sometimes you don't have the choice, like we talked before, if you sit in a cubicle, but if you do have a choice in, an, in the office or at home, choose a room with a window. And if you have a room with a window, some people, they, uh, even if they have a window, the closed curtains or whatever they have, and they don't need the light because they're looking at the computer screen. That's not good because the studies showed that people become more vivid, uh, less tired when they have light in general, and especially natural light. So if you have a choice, always use the natural light. In the evening, or if you don't have uh, a window, if you're tired, put a stronger light because you will see that it makes you less tired and more vivid, as I say. So if you have a choice, always make the bright and not the dim uh, light. But there are other things that are uh, people don't think that light influences us, besides being uh, less tired, etc. First of all, when you are in a lighted room, you are more self-aware of yourself and you have more self-control. In other mm-hmm. words, so, so I'll divide it to two. When you're working on something and you're alone, Light is good because it makes you more vivid, less tired, and especially if it's a natural light, but also artificial light if you don't have a choice. But also, when you are with other people, there are studies that showed that when the room is not dim, but really full light, people are uh, are more with self-control and aware of themselves, and therefore they will shout less, they will lose their temper less, and they will behave more ethically. Believe it or not, uh, there are studies that showed, for example, that people who had sunglasses cheated more or were less ethical than people who had uh, no sunglasses uh, in all kinds of studies. Uh, People feel more anonymous when it's uh, a dim light, and then they allow themselves to do less ethical and also more hedonic hedonic, uh, things. So in general, for many reasons, light has affected more than we think. Uh, for example, we, uh, if there is a, a bigger light, people make less hedonic choices. What do I mean mm-hmm. by hedonic choices? So if, for example, you can choose between uh, watching television now uh, or working on a on a task that is less enjoyable, but you have to do it. So uh, there is a much better chance that if you are in a lighted room, you will uh, do what you have to do rather than what you feel like doing uh, which is pleasurable but it doesn't but postpone what you have ready to do
0: i love that
1: it's amazing how light has these influences that we don't think about
0: i know like when i read that chapter i'm like wow i should really put more emphasis on my lighting and so i was researching lights and lamps for my room my office just to spark more energy and creativity so i think it's a really helpful chapter
1: If we talked about uh, the window, so we can lead, if you want, uh, to the other benefit of window, which is the view and nature.
0: Yeah, I was going to go to the nature next because not everybody has a view of nature. And I'm sure that like beyond the view that you can get outside the window, is there anything you can do in your office to make it more nature-like so it might inspire something? What would you say about that?
1: so first of all i want to say that uh, we know that stress uh, is a widespread phenomenon in western society and work is one uh, work related stress can be caused by number of factors and, and we are including you know pressure and high demands lack of control tense relationship with colleagues and bosses worries over job security and fears of being fired especially now during the covid know, people are not sure about their work a lot of us are stressed and one of the things that reduces stress Is nature so? That's why it's so important. The other things that nature does is releases us from mental fatigue. For these two reasons, I suggest that if you so so use nature for these two reasons, to reduce your mental fatigue and to reduce your stress, you will perform better. It will increase your performance and your well-being. How can we do that? So, the easiest way is that you look over the window if you have a view. Also, I strongly recommend, even if you are very, very busy, get up from your desk and go, even for ten or fifteen minutes out. If you can walk in nature or sit, it doesn't have to be a forest or a beach. If you have, that's great, but it can be also a garden with some trees. And there are studies that showed that when asked people divided to two groups, one group sat in an urban environment, the other one sat in a natural environment in several studies were done in japan for example and they were sitting really in a forest and uh, their uh, physiological measures were taken before they came and then after they sat or walked in nature or in urban society and it was clearly shown that those who sat in a uh, nature uh, environment for example uh, in this case it was forest uh, had lower blood pressure lower cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and they really, really, uh, on a physiological uh, measure, felt less stress. And of course, they they reported also that they were calmer and as compared to setting urban. Another study was conducted in uh, Stanford when they asked uh, students to walk either uh, in an urban environment near the campus or in a natural environment in park. And uh, again, those who work in the, in the natural environment uh, were less stressed and also performed better on some cognitive tasks. Because of that, I suggest, first of all, if you have a nature uh, around you, go down from your office or from your home if you work in at home and look at some trees, flowers, etc. if you have water, if you have a river, whatever you have. But as you said, sometimes you don't have and you don't have the time, and you don't have a view, and and you're living or working in the middle of a tall uh, houses or buildings, and you don't have anything uh, to watch. So in this case, you can do virtual reality. You can turn on the computer and take a virtual walk in nature. Also listen to natural voices like birds or or waves uh, in the internet. Also... Hang some nature photos in your office, or as I said, either if you work at home or in the office. Just look at them if you don't have nature outside. There is one study that showed that people were asked to do some cognitive task. In the middle of the task, they were stopped, and half of them were asked to look at a concrete roof. The other half looked at the roof that was covered with grass. And then they continued to work on the other half of the task. They looked at that uh, picture only for 40 seconds, 40 seconds, not minutes. And those who looked at the roof with the grass performed better. So I think that uh, that really shows that you should have the, this effort. As I said, if you do have a nature, go even for 10, 15 minutes, sit down or walk in nature or look over the window. If you don't have, look at photos or in the internet, take in a, a virtual walk. And that will help you uh, increase your well-being, reduce your stress, and reduce your mental fatigue and you perform better.
0: For the listeners out there, you got to take Thalma's advice, pause this podcast, go out for a walk in hopefully nature, and then turn the podcast back on. And hopefully that inspires people as they get back to work. Uh, I love all that advice. So let's shift over to interacting with people because you have a lot of good ideas in there. And I'm going to throw you a curveball right here because I imagine you wrote this book, not when COVID was happening, but... You start this section out by saying the the importance of like a good handshake. People make first impressions based on a handshake, whether it's an interview or a new colleague or whatever. So, with COVID, now that we're a little leery of handshakes, now what is a good replacement for that? Uh,
1: exactly. This is the only chapter that I will take out uh, for the, the COVID. <laughs> uh, when yeah. I wrote it, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think about the COVID, of course, and uh, let's not waste time on handshake because we don't do that now. So, what is the question?
0: <laughs> the question is what What's a good replacement for making a good first impression, especially when you can't do physical touch like that?
1: Depends, you know. Uh, if you come to an interview or negotiation, there are many things that uh, can help you. Let's start with clothes, for example. Yeah. people, A lot of people ask me also based on my first book and on this book, uh, whatever works, what should I wear for interview? And I say, I, I, I'm not giving you an answer what you should wear. You should just know that what you wear might influence the way you are perceived and what is even maybe not less important and people are not aware of that it will it will influence the way you behave and what do i mean by that and that also goes for zoom meetings or you know that people now meet online via zoom or all kind of or skype people don't look they, they see only my upper body yeah uh, so i think it's important to say the following first of all people do perceive you based on your clothes and you have to know that and then you decide what you want to wear wear something comfortable but think about the norms of the company that you are going to, if you are interviewed for for a job, think about the norms of that company and wear accordingly, at least for the interview. But there are studies that showed that women, for example, are suffering more than men if they're wearing uh, not according to the norms. For example, there are studies that show that a woman who wore one button open more than the other one, two women, one was wearing uh, the same as the other one, but one of the two uh, had one button more open. Not, not very provocative, but just one more button open. Or the skirt was a little bit shorter. And then they were asked if she's a good manager or CEO. Or another time she was presented as a secretary. When she was presented as a CEO, people thought she was less efficient and less uh, good manager or CEO compared to the woman who had all their buttons closed. When she was a secretary, they didn't think that. So that shows, unfortunately, I'm very sorry for this result, but these findings that people do judge, especially women, as more efficient or less efficient based also on her clothes.
0: Ah, so frustrating.
1: Yeah, it's very frustrating, and I, I really hate these studies, but they are they, they were done correctly and they still show that people do that, especially for women. Having say that, I don't say to women don't uh, wear a little bit short skirt, but just know that sometimes people judge you accordingly, unfortunately. These things change, but they change very, very slowly. What I think a lot of your listeners don't know is that there are studies that showed that people who uh, the, the way that people wear or dress influence their own behavior. For example, there was one study that they gave one group white coat. And another group, they didn't give them the white coat, you know, and the white coat like a doctor's code, and they asked them to perform uh, some cognitive task. Those who were given the white code performed better than those who were not given. They, they thought themselves as the doctors that influenced their, their performance. The second study, they gave uh, both groups white codes. But one group was told it's a doctor's coat. The other group was told it's a painter coat. Those who were told it was a doctor's coat performed better. In yet another study, they gave people uh, either they asked people either to wear some business suit or come with sneakers and, they, and, and read like they're going to the gym. Yeah. And they asked them to uh, negotiate on something. And they found that those who were wearing business suits, we're negotiating better, they came to better concessions. So that shows that uh, the way you wear sometimes influences your own behavior. And that's why, for example, if you are interviewed or negotiate uh, in a Zoom, for example, and you think it doesn't matter, people see only my upper body, but think that try to wear as if you're going to face to face because it influences your own behavior. If you don't sit with your pajamas when you are in interview, mm-hmm.
0: that's good advice because I look at this time I've been at home for nine months. You know, at the office I would wear basically suit and tie for the most part, or if not a tie, then you know maybe a button is open with no tie, but still really professional. And that shifted when I started working at home. I like an athletic gear most of the time. In fact, I'm interviewing you right now. And I'm wearing athletic gear. So you're saying to me that I need to be wearing professional attire so I feel better about myself, right?
1: It depends. You know, When you are interviewing me, that's less important because I'm not interviewing you for a job. But if you are interviewed for a job, some of the listeners, or if they're negotiating uh, on a business deal. So think about it and and try to wear what you were if you were face-to-face. But also feel comfortable. You can be you know, more comfortable than where you can have no shoes, for example, or no heels uh, if you're a woman. But remember, the way you dress influences not only the way you are perceived, but also your own behavior. Just remember that.
0: Yeah. You wrote that the gifts that will motivate your employees or team members to the greatest extent are not necessarily monetary. And that's, so that's the quote. I want to know some examples of that because, you know, I, I like money. I think people like rewards, but I think your, your point is well taken where it's like interacting with people in, in relationships. Some people get a lot of value from non-monetary things. So what are some examples of that?
1: Well, the thing is that when workers believe that their managers care about them, they become more committed to the organization and work more efficiently and one study for example one group was given a certain amount of money and the other group was given a, a gift which was worth exactly the same amount of money now rationally if you think it's better to get the money because with the money you can buy that particular present but you can buy other things if you don't like that present and yet they saw that those who got the, the gift rather than the money performed better. It's like motivated them more. That's surprising. The explanation is that they thought, the workers, that people cared about them. They chose carefully the present. They wrapped it nicely. And that, uh, that really influences. When, when they were asked, what would you like, a present or, or monetary, uh, some, the same amount of money, they said money. Mm-hmm. But when they were given either, I'm not talking about a big amount, but you know, like $15, for example, or a gift for $15 for every, for achievement of something, yes? And those who were given the gift performed better, it, it influenced it more. Which shows that people need to know that their boss or whoever evaluating them appreciates them and went into trouble and bought the right gift, wrapped it nicely, and that motivates them. Another thing is also that sometimes people are given money that they can donate to charity of their choice. And that also showed that they were motivated not less than when they were given money to take home. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. So some companies say, okay, if the bonus is that you will get a certain amount of money and you can choose what charity to give it to. And that motivated people too. So it's not simple. I mean, people like to get money. I'm not saying that they don't. And as I said, when you are asked what would you like a money or a gift, you, the rational thing and the thing to do is to save money because with the money I can buy that gift or I can take it home and do something else with it. But when in fact you're given either a nice present or money that you can also give to others, some of it at least you choose as your charity, it's really motivated
0: the people. I want to touch on a couple different things within the section about personal habits, and then I'll let you go because I know we're running short on time. So you brought up this point, and I've never heard it before, but this nomophobia is what it's called. It's the fear of being without a mobile phone. <laughs> and I laughed at that because there. I remember, I think it was one time last year where I, I went to my office and I accidentally left my phone at home. And I had this weird like sinking like nervous, anxious feeling about being without my phone. Like, oh my gosh, what if I get in an accident or what if my wife's trying to reach me or, or I get an important like business call? And I just like panicked. Almost wanted to turn around and go home and get it, but I, it was like I was too far away. So talk about that and just being connected to the phone all the time. What it's doing to our brains.
1: What you said you want to describe is is so common. People And people keep forgetting that... Uh, 10 years ago or something, that we didn't have the phones. So, and we, and we managed. Yeah, you know, there are many good things about the smartphone that we have. We can uh, be reached everywhere we are. We can look at the internet. We can uh, send documents. They can look, uh, you know, you can read the documents. We can, uh, all the things that we all know, and I don't have to repeat them. But it definitely disturbs us at work and there are several studies that really showed it very, very nicely. For example, in one study, they were asked three groups to come and and do some cognitive tasks. One group was told to leave everything outside, all all their belongings outside, but to take only the smartphone and put it on the desk. The other uh, group was asked to bring all their belongings in and to put their smartphone not on the desk, but either in their bag or in their pocket. The third group was told to leave everything outside, including their smartphone. And they were asked to do some cognitive tasks. Those who had the smartphone on their desk performed worse. Those who had the smartphone outside the room performed best. So then they said, although they didn't talk to it, but it was not turned off. Maybe they looked at it, they, they you know, they picked if they had some messages. So they asked them to turn it off. So the, the smartphone was on this desk, but it was turned off. Still, the performed worse. So just the present, the mere presence of the smartphone uh, influences the performance of the people. So my suggestion is uh, when you work on something important that you have to concentrate, don't think, okay, my, my phone is turned off, which people don't do often, but suppose they will do. Take it and put it in another room. If you're working at home, that's very easy. Just put it in another room. If you're working in the office, put it someplace that you don't see. And really don't look at it at least for an hour or so till you finish something. Then you, you're very, you, you want to know if your wife called or something, uh, or, or the messages, or the stock exchange, or whatever. Go and look. But then again, put it in another room. There are studies really that the mere presence of it, even if it was turned off, I repeat, influence the performance of the people. So that's a really, really practical suggestion. And my book, Whatever Works, has many, many suggestions which are easy to implement and they really influence our well-being and performance and creativity. We didn't have time to talk about creativity. I've been... So maybe another podcast, another we'll talk about. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. There's one more thing I wanted to hit and then I'll let you go. So in the section about the tidy desk, tidy mind chapter, you brought up the broken windows theory. So what's that theory? I've heard about this before, but I want you to tell it to the listeners. Uh, What is that? And then how does it relate to the behavior we have at our work and just our office space?
1: no this i I brought actually more in the ethical scene. the broken window showed that uh, when something is you know that there were graffiti everywhere it was not clean, mm-hmm. uh, and MS people threw some things on the floor so, so people obeyed less to the rules, for example, if they came to uh, to some some place that they, they were asked. That you are not allowed to enter through this hole. You you have to go around and open the, the gate. So they obeyed this rule more if it was a clean environment, and when it, it was you know kind of dirty. So they obeyed less. So that shows that when things are messy and they're not clean, people behave less ethically. That's the mm-hmm. idea.
0: That's so fascinating. Yeah. So having a tidy your desk would probably help us make better decisions, both morally and ethically. Right.
1: Yeah, but uh, although I have to uh, say one more thing, there was one study that showed that when your desk is, uh, is not orderly, not the room is dirty, but you, your desk is not orderly, and you know like there are many important creative people that had that, you might be more creative. So there are many examples of people who are very creative, you know, very important people that we all know their names, and there are pictures of their desks that they are very, very messy. And this study showed that when you are working on something creative sometimes not being in order i know that you know they're all kind of mess around you you let your thoughts wander around and that also you know not everything is in its place and that might bring you to to think of more original ideas or something out of the box
0: Thelma, this has been such a great discussion. There's so much in your book. Um, so much good science, too. Good research that you've done. And I appreciate that you can like, remember and recite all these researches <laughs> that you've done. Where can people learn more about you, your book, any of your work? Uh, I don't think I mentioned this at the start of the podcast, but you're in Israel. So uh, maybe just share what you're up to and, and where people can find you.
1: So uh, first of all, as I said, the the book, Whatever Works, has a lot of things that we didn't talk about, and it's all advices how to be more creative, more successful at work, and increase your well-being. And I write about all this in my website. It's talmalobel.com, T-H-Talmalobel.com. You have there all my interviews, references to the books and to the Studies that I've conducted, et cetera. And I'll be more than happy to answer questions in my email and everything. And I'm always getting mails all the time and have, very happy to answer. I'm used to it. I'm a professor of psychology. People ask me all the time questions.
0: Thalma Lobel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and providing so much value for our listeners. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.